everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. You might have noticed last Thursday that we posted this episode under the wrong title. We apologize for that, and we'll release that episode on politics tomorrow morning. Now, to properly introduce this episode, we started studying Romans 8 as a church yesterday, and we're going to continue that through Easter. We're challenging you to study Romans 5-8 through 8 in your personal devotional time. And to help you, we've released a devotional plan at hpcmadison.com. If you feel like you need more help cultivating your devotional time, listen to episode 173 on the podcast and read the Fighting for Devotional Time blogs at hpcmadison.com. We'll also be releasing devotional videos and more podcasts on these passages in the coming weeks. In this episode, Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and Jill Reese, who is on staff, talk through Paul's overarching argument in Romans 5-8 through 8 for our hope in the love of God that we experience by the Holy Spirit. As always, if you have questions from listening to this episode, email us at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, I'm Jill. I'm here with Nick. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. Hello. We are, hello, Nick. We are doing um, a three week sermon series leading up to Easter on Romans 8. Um, we were in Nehemiah, so we are shifting gears due to all of At some of point, the we'll go back on. and finish Nehemiah. Yes. I am excited about that, but I'm also excited about Romans 8. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Romans 5 and 7 in that series as well. So we're going to be doing some devotional podcasts for you as you read um, in your own daily devotionals. You can read Romans 5 through 8 with us, and we're going to do some devotional podcasts, and Nick is also recording some devotional videos. Yeah, videos where I will take you through specific sets of verses as a devotional time, and like, well, the text will be on the screen, and I'll be drawing on the text and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. So people who are like, look, I still feel lost about actually doing a devotional time. We'll actually have some videos for you to watch and do with me. And I'll give you some instruction about how to do it to get you going. Yeah, which is good, I think, especially for Romans, which I've read before, but is it's very dense and difficult. So yeah, I'm excited Romans, for those videos. Romans is known academically as one of the like great literary achievements of the Western world. And is often read in introduction to philosophy courses, or used to be until a larger anti-biblical bias grew up. But it's also important to recognize that the book of Romans was writ- was written for and read to completely uneducated women, peasants, slaves mm-hmm. in the Roman world who had no access to education or the formal formation of the mind. Mm-hmm. And they understood it, and the world was changed by this writing. So I think it's important to understand that you may be like, well, this is so hard. I can't possibly. Well, if you, if you, if you feel like you can't possibly, it's, it's partly because you've accepted a certain kind of intellectual um, assumption about your inability that mm-hmm. isn't true. Mm-hmm. And so um, intelligence has to do with raw ability, but it has usually more to do with the willingness to do the work of concentration. Mm-hmm. And people are very averse to that because it's hard. It's mental work is hard work. Yeah. And, um, but I think God wants everyone to have a sharpened mind, to love him with all mm-hmm. the, all our minds. And even if you don't have an academic job, even if like your job isn't doing knowledge work, you can still have a well-trained mind as a Christian mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and doing devotions is one of the ways I, I, I remember that I, there's this guy in Florida, quick story, very quick story. Um, there's this guy in Florida who sold meat for a living. So he drove around, called people up, good old Southern boys and was like, Hey, you want to buy meat for your business? That's, that's what he did for a living had a really well-trained mind Hmm. because he read his Bible, studied it, 
every day. And because he was studying every day, he had a better trained mind than a lot of people who did thought work mm-hmm. for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, So don't think yeah. that because you're a plumber or because you're a waitress or a server at a restaurant or because you have your, you know, you, you pick up garbage for a living, you drive one of those trucks or something that like, you know, you're, you don't need a well-trained mind or you can't have a well-trained mind. You can love God with all your mind and you can understand Romans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I was encouraged out of our last conversation about devotionals that we're not going to get a hundred percent out of the text every time we read it. And you can yeah. still get something out of the text, even if you don't understand 100% of it. Yeah, I look back at early devotions that I had where I got almost nothing out of the text, mm. that it was there. But I got mm. something, and it changed mm-hmm. me. It helped mm-hmm. me a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's dive in a little bit to introduce the purpose of devotions and recap that a little bit. Um, Nick, yeah, I think what do you want to say about that? I think Romans twelve eleven, which says, never be lacking in zeal but keep up your spiritual fervor serving the Lord is the, is sort of the easiest biblical verse on this, that mm-hmm. God has given us everything we need to stoke the fire of our devotion, but it's our job to do it. So if your heart is growing cold towards God, you're like, but I just don't feel God. I don't feel excited about God. I don't feel, okay. That's your fault. Okay. I don't mean to be mean, but like, imagine it like this. There's a fire already burning in a little fire circle, right? And you're sitting by it. And behind you is a pile of cured wood. Like it's dry. It's ready to burn. Okay. It's there. It's sitting right Mm -hmm. there. But you have to pick up the wood and put it in the fire. Right. Now, I I don't know about you, but I've done done the work of cutting, sawing, splitting, prepping, curing wood. That is 97.6% of the work. Right. And then I stack it. And then my family has little outdoor fires where they enjoy it. (laughs) But if they said to me, Nick, you've done all the work of getting the wood here and curing everything, but we, we can't possibly put wood on the fire. Can you do it? That would annoy the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and one of the things God is, is God doesn't want us to be um, spoiled brats. He can't make mature, substantive, devoted people when he literally does every single thing. Right. He gives mm-hmm. us everything we need. And then he requires us to step into acts of faith, one of which is taking the wood he's given us and putting it on the fire of our own devotion. Mm -hmm. And so it's our job to take what he's given us, which is the death and resurrection of Christ, the beauty of creation and how it screams the glory of God and pours forth speech about him, says Psalm 19, Mm -hmm. and and predominantly the written scriptures Mm -hmm. in which he has spoken and shown himself. Mm-hmm. But you could add to that in the body of the church through prayer, like any of the biblical spiritual devotions are a means by which we put fuel on the fire when we engage emotionally and mentally and fully with these things. And that is our job. So it's it's your, so if you're like, I just don't feel God. All right, well then put wood on the fire, go to church, mm-hmm. pray, seek a mentor that can help you spend time in what the Bible calls fellowship with other people who are inspiring towards you read the scriptures, etc. Because mm-hmm. God has stacked all this wood for you. Mm-hmm. You just have to reach out and grab it, put it on the fire. Yes. First, if after you do that, truly faithfully, you still are having emotional problems and connecting with God, then you should get help from somebody who's a spiritual shepherd. Mm-hmm. And keep doing devotions while you get help. Yes. Just keep pursuing. Yeah. Yes. But you'd be amazed how people, I've met people with enormous personal problems, like emotional, dysfunctional, personal problems who have disciplined themselves to have devotions every day. And it is amazing Mm -hmm. how 
much how positively that affects their life and how functional they are. Yeah, they still have to grow and like deal with those problems, but it's amazing how functional they can be by simply mm-hmm. coming to God every day and having a very hot spiritual devotion. That can that can compensate for a lot of the dead weight of our dysfunctions. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I have experienced that myself. Um, okay, so we are putting out some videos, devotional videos. And yeah. we're all, there's just a lot of videos right now because our sermon is on a video. Yeah. We have devotional videos. You're probably watching lots of other videos. And so just remember that. Time, the, the reason we're doing that is this is not just because we can't see each other in person, but this is a great time to really build into your personal devotional times. Right. Mm-hmm. You have time. If you can shut off the TV and get alone and mm-hmm. read the scriptures and, and seek God in this way, this could be a great time for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something we want to maximize. So we're making we're making some of these videos to walk you through it, and this video to like lay out the overlaying groundwork mm-hmm. so that if you go in yourself, you can accomplish more. Mm-hmm. Yes, and even though we're all we're watching, we're consuming all of these videos in the same space and not leaving. Just making that mental shift that like the devotional sermons that or devotional videos that you're putting out, Nick, aren't just. It's not another sermon. That's not the purpose of it. So shift, shifting no. your mind to that. No, it's the a purpose tutorial. For it. I'm yes. mm-hmm. taking you through what you need to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And yes. you're going to do the work of digging out and, and using what's there. Yeah. Yeah. So have your Bible, also. have your journal while you watch that video and be in that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, Nick, do you want to talk about layout by sentence structure? In yeah, yes. Yeah. So some of this stuff is I discussed in the first video that people will see. Okay. But one of the oh, things that I, that I like to do is I like to I like to lay out the text by sentence structure, especially when you're dealing with discourse. So actually, mm-hmm. genre should be the first thing we talk about when you're sitting down to do devotions. The, one of the first things you ask is, "What kind of writing is this?" The the cool word for this is genre, which <laughs> is, I think it's it's French or something for like the kind of writing it is. So if I laid down before, I said, "Look at read this," and I handed you a love letter that I'd gotten, you know like when Lexi and I were first married, you would read that very different than if I said, now read this. And I gave you a contract, like a business contract between two people who are starting a business, just completely different kinds of writing for completely Mm -hmm. different purposes. And they have completely different rules. So one of the things you, every time, and now now we normally do this automatically, but one of the things you need to do when you read the Bible is say, what kind of writing is this? Right. And so Romans is discourse. That is it's teaching. It's one side of a phone conversation. Right, mm-hmm. and so we're, he's the, the apostle is telling us something through an argument by explaining something. That's different than reading a story about how Jesus treats somebody who has leprosy. Mm-hmm. Right, you get information out of a story very differently than you get out of discourse. So the first distinction is: is this discourse, or is this narrative or story? Mm-hmm. Now, in the Gospels, there are places where Jesus will do something, and then he'll give a little teaching, which is discourse in the midst of the story. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it's the story that tells us what the discourse means, mm-hmm. right? And the discourse, which interprets the story. So there's an interrelationship, right? So in Romans, we're dealing with discourse. And discourse is a little bit more difficult because you have to actually look at sentence structure and mm-hmm. prepositions and like all those kinds of things more carefully. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes I think that that's, people feel that way, but sometimes I don't know that that's true because sometimes when you interpret narrative, the narratives are so lean and mean that all the little words matter too. And so I think mm-hmm. whether you're interpreting narrative or um, discourse, just paying attention to all the words and what they mean is still going to be critical to really get everything right. there. Right. That makes sense. Um, 
And so therefore, the thing you said before, therefore paying attention to the structure of sentences is critical. One of the things I found mm-hmm. really interesting is I, I've learned more about English and grammar, yeah. reading my Bible as carefully as I possibly could, trying to get everything I could from God out of it than I did in all my English classes in my, in my schooling. Mm-hmm. Because I just, I, I wasn't a good enough person to care about English for its own sake when I did my schooling. I wasn't a mature enough person. But when I came to the Bible to learn about God, part of learning about God was paying attention to sentence structure. So then I had to pay attention mm-hmm. to sentence structure. So then I had to learn about it by doing it. And then I got better. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not that English is dumb or my English teachers were bad, but when you're mm-hmm. driven to know God and you realize you have to pay attention to what the words mean and say in their, in their grammar and context and syntax, then you get better at grammar and syntax because you, because of your devotion for God, which then leads to more devotion to God. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. And I do think that, for different temperaments and ways that people think there's going to be it's discourse versus narrative versus poetry. Right. The genres throughout the Bible are going to be easier or harder for you to understand. Um, but it is, yeah. it, if you have the right focus and concentration, you can do the work and get something out of it. Yeah. And, and I would add to that early on, it's okay to go along with your temperament. So if you're the kind of person that loves poetry and you love the feely mm-hmm. emotional language of the Psalms and you're getting something out of that, just go with that. At some mm-hmm. point you've got to go read the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you're like a really analytic person and like you love Romans and like the intricate logic of all that and the Psalms just don't really do anything for you, just go with that for a while. At some point mm-hmm. you need to learn to feel and read mm-hmm. Psalms, but just early on, just go with what works, what mm-hmm. you can stay engaged with until you've built a stronger discipline of concentration. Yeah, that's good. All right. Do you want to dive into Romans or do you want to say anything else, Nick, about devotionals overall? Sure. One last thing, and we'll look at this as we look at Romans, is I encourage people to do the devotions in what you might call passages, which is Mm -hmm. some people, they'll just open their Bible, like let's say Romans, let's say, and they start reading at Romans 5.1. And they read until they hit a thought that does something for them. It -hmm. touches them, right? And they go, oh, that touches me. And they think about it for a little bit and then they close their Bible and that's their devotional. And on one level, that's that's actually totally fine, right? If a verse touches you or does something for you and what you're getting out of that verse is what the verse is actually saying, then you have put a piece of wood on the fire. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. a little stick, but it's something and it burns, <laughs> you know? But the reason why we should start by interpreting the Bible in passages is because we want to make sure what we're getting from that verse that touches us is what that verse is actually saying not what we want it to say or what we are intuited it, ha- it must mean. And so by looking at the whole argument of a section, we see where the verse is situated in the overall argument and what the apostle is really doing. And then we can really know what that verse is saying. Usually what that's going to do is you're going to realize that the verse basically means what you thought it did, but it means a whole lot more than you ever dreamed it did. There's mm-hmm. so much more there. And mm-hmm. so you end up taking a lot more devotion. Instead of putting a little stick on the fire, you end up putting a, a split piece of oak on the fire. Mm-hmm. It burns a lot hotter and a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. All right. I'm ready to dive into Romans. Great. Romans five. 5. Are you? Okay. okay. So, yeah. So the series is going to be Romans 8. Okay. I've read from Romans 8 the last two Sundays and about us being more than conquerors through him who loved us and that nothing can keep us. It separates from the love of Christ. But... um. In order to understand Romans 8, you have to understand some things from Romans 5 and Romans 7. And so I will be going back to some of those passages to make sure that Romans 8 is sufficiently clarified. Mm-hmm. So it's good. The, the two main um, burdens of Romans 8 
are one, the more than conquerors bit, right? Mm -hmm. That in Christ, no matter what comes against us in the world, death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, any of those things, none of those things can separate us from the love of God. And thus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. that introduction of the concept that our triumph is actually rooted in the love of God mm -hmm. comes out first in Romans 5. Mm -hmm. Okay. Secondly, yeah. in the book of Romans, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, is referred to 34 times in, the, in all 16 chapters of the book of Romans. Okay. In chapters one through seven, in all seven of those chapters, the spirit is referred to four times. Right. In Romans eight, the spirit is referred to 22 times. Okay. The, the most other chapters in Romans that the spirit is mentioned is in chapter 15. The spirit is mentioned, I think four or five times, but that's it. And so, there's this enormous emphasis on the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and what the Holy Spirit of God does in the in human beings in redemption, mm -hmm. and how that applies the love of God to us, and how the presence of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in us makes us more than conquerors. And so I, st I started with just the idea of like, hey, look, in our suffering, we can be more than conquerors, right? Because mm -hmm. that is the theme. In our suffering, we can be more than conquerors. But how? Mm -hmm. And the answer is it's by the power of the hope that we have in the future glory of God mm -hmm. that we receive in the present by God pouring his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, it says in Romans 5. Right? Mm -hmm. So this, and so therefore suffering ends up serving hope. Mm -hmm. but, but it assumes the present realization that God's love is in our hearts that the way God has really loved us, the depth and power of his love, we are actually internally, emotionally experiencing because we uh, we live by the spirit and not by the flesh. Mm -hmm. Right? That's the key. And so therefore, it's not just a theology of conquering that we have to see. It's actually a theology of suffering and why we're conquerors in suffering because of the work of the spirit. And that the mm -hmm. particular work of the Spirit being spoken about here is the Spirit's pouring out of the love of God into our hearts. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And he does, does that partly by us realizing what the gospel actually teaches. Which is then which what the it's... Cross, right? Yeah, I, and it, you can see that shift. It seemed like Paul was starting to explain then that the gospel... After, so in verse five, Nick, that's what you were talking about. It says, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And then Paul says, you see at just the right time when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Right. And so then in five, he's talking mostly about Christ and that and his work. So it's a shift right. away from the spirit, but it's explaining why we have the love poured into our hearts. Okay, let me clarify what you just said. Because yes, when you say shift away from the spirit, you're not saying he was talking about the spirit and then he's not. What you're saying is no. he introduces yes. the the spirit in verse five, but then right. he doesn't explain more about the spirit in verse in chapter five. He mm -hmm. goes from there to an emphasis on the love of God, and that's because right. he's going he's working backwards then, right? Again, to explain how the love of Christ was poured out by the spirit into our hearts. I, wait, so I know. Again? So he's, 
<laughs> he is You're working. How? No, I don't think that's right. I think that's very. Okay. Cl- I think that's very close. I think what he's doing is. So this gets back to um, interpreting discourse, right? Mm-hmm. And what is the question in the heart of the hearer that he's anticipating, right? So in mm-hmm. verse five, he says, so in verses one, two, and three, or one and two, sorry, he tells us the three things he's already argued for in chapters three and four about justification. Mm-hmm. So by faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for us, we've been justified. We're counted innocent and righteous in God's sight. That means it's created peace in our relationship with God. That allows us to access all of the gifts of God, God's goodwill towards us. So we have this grace in which we can presently stand right now, a persevering and standing grace. Mm-hmm. And we have the joy of being able to rejoice in the future revelation of the glory of God and that we'll be a part of that, right? And then he says, and, and that's a rejoicing in hope, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says, not only so, but we also rejoice, the word rejoice again, in our sufferings. And the reason we rejoice in our sufferings is because they produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So again, we're rejoicing in something that's going to produce hope, just mm-hmm. like in verse two, right? And then he says, and hope doesn't disappoint us, right? The word disappoint is also humiliation or shame. Mm-hmm. So the, the the issue is, is like, okay, all of this is really rooted in the fact that in the past, Jesus died and rose from the dead for me. And all of my acceptance of the grace of God and my experience of the grace of God is rooted in my ability to enjoy something I believe is going to happen in the future, which is a hope, right? Mm -hmm. And so the question is, I think the question is, am I going to turn out to be an idiot to hope in this, right? Namely, that God would really do all this for me, for us, right? And so he's saying, your hope is never going to put you to shame, either that God is going to reject you and so you'll be humiliated, or that God won't come through for you and so mm. you'll be humiliated. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is dealing with the worthlessness objection, right? That like okay. either God isn't going to do this for us, right? Or that like this isn't going to happen. Our hope is vain, right? And so we mm-hmm. see our hope is never going to humiliate us. Now versus um, the rest of that verse is going to explain, like you said, how, mm-hmm. right? The is, how is because God has poured his love out into our hearts by his Holy Spirit whom he's given us, right? So that's, how we're experiencing that hope. And then verses six and following, like you're, you're saying, he's then arguing for the fact of that love. So right. That's the transition. Mm-hmm. So he's transitioning away from a focus on hope and that hope in the spirit being the thing we're rejoicing in to substantiating the foundational concept, which is that God actually does really love you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And the proof of God's love is rooted in Christ's death for us when we were ungodly sinners and God's enemies, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it covers in the next verses. So in verse mm-hmm. six, and, you, and you, you can see a lot of temporal references, references to time. You see at just the right time when we were powerless, mm-hmm. Christ died for the ungodly. So now so we're, we were the ungodly when, he, when Christ died for us. And now that's the idea that Christ died for the ungodly is the root idea of why we can believe in God's love and that we'll never be put to shame if we believe in God's love and put our hope in it. Mm-hmm. because Christ died for the ungodly. He's like, look, nobody does that. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but we're not good. Mm-hmm. So God's love is categorically better than the best human being. You have mm-hmm. never experienced God's love by experiencing love in a human being. And so don't think that your experience of God's love in any human being or your lack thereof tells you anything about God's love, 
right? Mm -hmm. A perfect loving human can only by analogy get at something in God's love, but it's not like God's love. Mm -hmm. He dies for the ungodly. Even the best men will only die for good men, right? Mm -hmm. He says this, but instead, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again, back to while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Again, Mm -hmm. the reference, temporal reference. When Jesus did the dying, we were in the state of being sinners because we couldn't put our faith in the death and resurrection of Christ until he died and rose from the dead and we heard about it. So Mm -hmm. Jesus has to do it before we can have faith in him. And so by definition then, when he dies for us, it's before we're justified and there's peace with God, right? And no, notice here he says, demonstrates in verse eight, God demonstrates his own love for us. Mm-hmm. So the point here is not that God starts to love us. It's that part of right. what's going on in the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just the purchasing of righteousness and the taking on of our sins, but it's also God showing us in a way that is so absolute that he loves us, that we can actually accept it into our hearts with the help of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we just never could possibly do it. Because mm-hmm. deep down, we know we're ungodly sinners and God's enemies. We know that in our yeah. conscience. And we know that mm-hmm. we deserve death and hell, even though we, we would never admit mm-hmm. it. We mm-hmm. think we're, we want to believe we're safe in the mob, but we're not. And our conscience condemns us. Like it says in Romans 2, we have enough mm-hmm. conscience to be like, you're not good. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, that's why you have to believe in the love of God on the basis of Christ dying for you as the ungodly. If you say, but I'm not worth it. I'm a terrible person. The answer is, that is, has already been stipulated in the argument. Yes, you are ungodly. It never says you're worthless. It says, morally speaking, that we are ungodly and that we're sinners and that we're God's enemies. But that doesn't mean we're worthless. Mm-hmm. Enemies can really matter. <laughs> and we clearly do to him. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So the yes. rest of the argument focuses on, and you get down to this in verses, um, where is it, where he talks about reconciliation um, that's in 11. 11, I think. Yeah, 10 and 11. Yeah. yeah, 10 and 11. So first 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Mm-hmm. Right? Verse 11, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So that, that concept reconciliation is used three times in those two verses. So mm-hmm. Paul is pushing forward this argument that, because of justification and having peace with God in our relationship with him. And now through faith, being able to stand in God's grace because of Jesus, the Christ and what he's done, we are reconciled to God. And that reconciliation is a relationship of profound love. Mm -hmm. And if you believe that you are reconciled to the God who loves you like this, what could possibly happen to you? What could possibly happen that your hope in him could be ruined and lead to your humiliation rather than your joy. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, and that's the argument Paul ultimately gets to not till Romans eight. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Who can separate us from the love of God? Can this or that? And the answer is nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he also says, who can bring an accusation against one of us? You see, he's referring again to justification. Mm-hmm. We're set right. We're made innocent again, or we, sta- we give, are given a righteous standing in Christ and our sins are paid for on the cross. There's no more accusation that can be brought against us because of the work of the love of God that happened when Christ died for his enemies, right? Everything that Paul argues in Romans 8 for why we can be more than conquerors is rooted in the love of God 
and what accomplished by the supreme act of his love, which is Christ's death and resurrection. The implication of which, though, is, is that we can feel that and know it in the present. We can have the grace mm-hmm. in which we now stand, which is that God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we can actually carry the strength of that hope in us, in joy, rejoicing that we are experiencers of the the true love of God. And, and Paul's desire is for that to really come home to us, that we belong mm-hmm. to him, he belongs to us, and we are reconciled. And we have a true relationship, and the one we're in relationship with actually does love us with a ferocious love. Mm-hmm. And so we really can rejoice even in our sufferings. Mm-hmm. But then it really is not till chapter eight that he comes back to that concept of rejoicing and suffering and specifically the centrality of the Holy Spirit in that work. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, do you want so in in as an overview, do you want to go more into the rest of Romans five or should we talk more about Romans seven and how that ties into the overall argument that Paul is making leading up to Romans eight? Yeah, no. So the rest of Romans five through six and into seven mm-hmm. is an argument about how Christ has died for us and say set us free from sin, death, and hell, and how amazing that is. And specifically in the second half of in, in six in the first half of seven, he's arguing specifically in the relationship to law and contracts. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he's because because he says, listen, I know that when I say you've been justified by faith, one of the objections you could make is, well, if God saves us by his grace and not by us obeying the law, then if we do more bad things and God still saves us, doesn't that mean that we're increasing the amount of grace God gives? It doesn't that glorify him more. And Paul's like, no, because you don't just receive God's grace. You are identified with Christ. And as Christ, mm-hmm. as Christ died for your sins, when you believe in him, you die to your sins. And that's symbolized in baptism. So as Jesus died and was put in the grave and rose from the dead to, to destroy your sins, mm-hmm. you are put in the ground and you die to your sins in baptism and come out. Mm-hmm. So that you're united with Christ metaphorically in his death. In the death mm-hmm. he died to save you from your sins and free you from your sins. You die the death in baptism and faith to die to your sins and to rise free from your sins. Mm-hmm. Right? So that is, you can't really belong to Jesus unless you appropriate and actually experience and live in the thing that he died to give you. If you, if you reject his gracious gift and then say, somehow this increases grace and the gift, that's crazy. You can't mm-hmm. destroy the gift and say, I'm increasing the glory of the gift giver, right? Right. And so he says right. that there's a contract then that's broken, right? And the mm-hmm. contract that you used to have was with sin. You were sin's slave. And he's like, listen, the only way a slave can be free from his master on, without you know purchasing your freedom is if he dies. If you die, nobody, ha- nobody can claim that you're still their slave, even mm-hmm. if you rise from the dead, right? And, and then he says, same thing with marriage, right? Marriages last as long as people are alive but when one party dies the other person can remarry because the contract is over and so what he's saying is when you died in faith in baptism in the death into the death of christ when christ's death became your death spiritually it freed you from the ownership of sin and it's right to hold you as its slave and you were not just freed from the penalty of sin you were freed from its right to control you and you entered into mm-hmm. a new marriage contract or slavery contract with the God who made you, mm-hmm. right? To live according to him. But then the question mm-hmm. is, 
live according to what? Yeah. And that's where he's, you can start seeing him. He's making the argument for the two laws that he starts with in Romans 8, the law of the spirit, well, the law of sin and death that we're released from. And then um, the law that he talks about is the way of the spirit in chapter seven, but that is the law of um, the spirit of life and peace. Right. The Holy Spirit doesn't come up again until chapter seven from verse five. So in six, Mm -hmm. in the first part of seven, the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned at all because that's not what he's focusing on. He's focusing on what Christ has done. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But then then what he's doing is he's trying to transition us to the present. How Mm -hmm. do we actually live in the present in the righteousness of Christ? Mm-hmm. And and Paul doesn't make very strong distinctions between what we call justification and sanctification. Justification being counted right before God judicially, and sanctification actually being set apart to a holy life, to be completely different, to no longer play the role of the ungodly, right? But to instead mm-hmm. actually be like Christ and to live in the love of God and live out the love of God, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how is that done? Right. right, And that brings us to chapter 7, the second half of chapter 7, which is arguably one of the most controversial chapters in the whole Bible. That's one of the reasons why chapter 8 is a little bit difficult, because it comes right on the heels of a section that people just don't understand. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're interested in the discussion on how to interpret this, um, one way to do it is go to the Gospel Coalition website and just type in Romans 7. And mm-hmm. it'll give you like five articles on the different ways to take this. And I think they're very good articles. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, there is this whole section on the, the apostle talking about this feeling of powerlessness in living out the truth of God. Mm-hmm. We probably should read a little bit of it. Yeah. I can read it better if I bring up on my screen. Hold on, give me a second here. Okay. So seven. So in verse 12, let's start in verse 12. So then... The law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. That is the law of God written in the Bible, right? It's very good. He said, but did that which is good, that is the law, then become death to me? By no means. Mm -hmm. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, the law produced death in me through what was good, that is the good law, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful or to be seen as completely sinful because sin exists before a law enters in. But you don't have any standard by which to say that's that's wrong. Like it's mm-hmm. against the law, right? And mm-hmm. the law creates that opportunity. Does that make sense? Yes. He says, "For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly." Some of the translations say unspiritual, but the word is sarks or flesh. The law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I do, I don't want to do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil in me. I don't want to do this I keep on doing. Now, if I now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my flesh, a slave mm-hmm. of the law of sin. Mm-hmm. So you see, see the point of that, there's, there's this huge emphasis in this section about this feeling of powerlessness and failure that comes on this, like the human person when we, we start to recognize what's good on some level in our conscience, we know what's good. And we, yet every time we think we're trying to do what's right, Mm -hmm. at least episodically, if not consistently, we find that there's something else motivating us, something else that seeks to control our behavior profoundly, really strongly. And we have a really hard time overcoming it. So, it really just increases our condemnation because the more we know what we should do and our conscience is alivened, and yet the more we can't find a way to do it, the more self-condemned we become. And so in some ways, the alivening of conscience can feel like a kind of condemnation because if you don't believe in what's good and right and you just like are self-justified, you don't believe in the law of God at all, you might not feel like you're a wretched person. Mm-hmm. But when conviction comes and there's a real sense of the consciousness of the law of God, and then you start to realize that you don't do it very well. In fact, you do it really terribly. The result is something like, what a wretched human creature I am. Mm-hmm. I'm damnable and deserve complete destruction. Who could possibly save me from this? Right? Yeah. So am I, I have a clarifying question. Yeah. Am I understanding this correctly that, in this part of chapter seven, he's Paul is not describing the tension between the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life. He's describing when we are starting to understand the law of sin and death and its effect on us and that we're slaves to it. And we're trying to break that. Like we want to, we want to escape it and we're, maybe trying to do that ourselves, but realize we can't. So this is before we are par- we are under the law of the spirit of life. Am I understanding that correctly? So th- that is, you are understanding that in that that is the controversy about the passage. Okay. So you've put your finger on the thing that everybody argues about. Okay, great. Which is essentially, is this, is Paul talking about an unregenerate person, somebody who has not yet experienced mm-hmm. justification by faith and therefore the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? And all the things that Romans 5 talks about, that we're justified by faith and have peace with God, can stand in this grace. So, for example, in chapter 5, if we are standing in a present grace of perseverance, then why can't we overcome some of these things? Mm-hmm. Right? Why are we so wretched as this? Mm-hmm. Right? Why do we keep doing what we don't want to do if we're standing in perseverance? Right? These are the questions people ask. Or other people have said, when he says um, that... Um, verse 22, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people said, yeah, but an unregenerate person would never say that. That's not, that's not the, that's not how an unregenerate person thinks that they delight in the law of God. So this person has to be at least somewhat awakened, right? Um, so there is the controversy is, did Paul write that section of chapter seven as a hypothetical description of what humanity is like, including himself because he's human mm-hmm. and recognizing that when you come, begin to come to conviction, this is the experience you're having mm-hmm. that you are starting to see the truth. And yet you're recognizing that the truth is in such conflict with yourself that either you have to destroy the truth in your mind mm-hmm. or you have to realize that you are completely wretched. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or is this how Christians feel? 
that when people are justified by faith and they believe in Jesus and all that, and they, they belong to God, that they still feel this way. Mm-hmm. That, the, that God has enlivened the truth of their minds, and yet their struggle with the flesh is so profound that they find themselves at least episodically failing, if not consistently failing, and they and they think I'm ter- I'm a terrible human being. I, I mean, like mm-hmm. I am I am the worst thing that there could possibly be. And how could God continue to love me when I behave after all this redemptive grace as though I was still His enemy? Mm-hmm. And the answer is I don't know that anybody knows. For sh- I don't. It's hard to prove mm-hmm. either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to think, and I part of the reason is because. We have to, we're, we are pulling in our theology into some of these words. So if, if right. you believe that, that in total depravity, that human beings don't seek or love or know God without him working, which is argued to a certain extent in Romans 3, then you can't conceive of somebody truly delighting in the law of God who isn't regenerate. And so therefore, the person in this passage must be a regenerate person, right? That's how John Piper takes it, for example. Right, but, that, but then you could also say that this person also feels like a complete failure, and the way Paul talks about people who have received the Spirit, both in this epistle and others, is not that way. But in fact, even just in Romans 8, there's a, like a, a great triumph for those who believe. So mm-hmm. people like Tom Schreiner, who's a scholar at Southern Baptist Seminary, says this is a discussion of Paul seeing himself or imagining himself in his unregenerate state, even mm-hmm. as a Pharisee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I prefer um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' um, take on this, which is, um, this is a description of seeking to be sanctified apart from the work of the Spirit. Hmm. That if you, as a believer or an unbeliever, recognize the law of God and recognize what you're really like in the flesh, right? And the flesh is not literally your body. It is all that is in you that has desires to go against the truth of God, right? That 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 depravity that is inside of you. If you recognize that, he says, Lloyd-Jones says, if you seek to be sanctified or to live a godly life or to to try to live out what Jesus has bought for you in his love or to really to live that out without the presence and power of the spirit, this is how you're going to end up. Mm -hmm. And it leads to more condemnation. Right. Condemnation and complete despondency. Just and, complete gloom. Like, I can't do mm-hmm. this. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that makes sense then leading into chapter, chapter eight. eight. That's, because that's eight one, yeah, starts with, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because right. through Christ mm-hmm. Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Right. Right. You see, so you get to the end of that section and it's kind of like, I am just condemned. Right. right. And Paul says, mm-hmm. no, not through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right, mm-hmm. and then it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and then he introduces this concept of the Spirit of Life, which is going to mm-hmm. be the work of the Holy Spirit, which is going to come into conflict with and contradict and even overcome the work of the flesh, right, mm-hmm. or the law of sin as it's been called so far in this passage. And so Lloyd Jones says that in trying to work out a concept of salvation, he hasn't yet really discussed in Romans how the Spirit really fits into this. Hmm. And how um, he, it, one of the things Lloyd Jones says is in the Christian life, in this life until final redemption, because depravity stays with us. There's never going to be a time where in yourself you have the power to be godly. You'll never have the power to be godly. He says it's only in you can you can only ever have a participation in godliness in the Holy Spirit. Hmm. 
that if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can participate in him in union with, as you are in union with Christ, you could be in union with the Holy Spirit. And in that union, in that participation, you can walk in godliness. Kind of like if like, imagine somebody who came from a super dysfunctional family. And like every time she would go home to her family, it was like just a crap show. I mean, just all of her dysfunctions came out. All of her family's dysfunctions came out. It was just horrible, right? And then she like, she goes off to college or something and she meets some guy who is wonderful. And when she's with him, she can be functional. Right. And, and she grows and she's growing and she's changing. If you took her away from him, stuck her back in her, in her house for 18 months, she wouldn't do very well. But when she's with him, when she's participating in life with him, she's, she does well. Right. It, because she, and she may never have the power to go back into her family of origin and just live well and beautifully. But as long as she's participating in life with him, she has the power because of her participation in this other person. And mm-hmm. what, the, what Romans is saying is, is that because the Holy Spirit indwells us, God pours his love out into our heart by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he gives to us. He gives us a person in whom we come into union that in participation with him, we now have the power to mm-hmm. do what must be done. And so therefore we can, even in our sufferings, apply the gospel so deeply in our heart and experience the love of God that we can become more than conquerors. We can have Mm -hmm. the power to conquer anything, but Mm -hmm. if and only if we come into a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so therefore Mm -hmm. we should believe from Romans 7 and 8 that it is not enough for a Christian to understand that Jesus died for your sins and that God is sovereign over all. You must have a Trinitarian theology. You must understand how it is that God is working in you and through you by the Holy Spirit, and you must learn how to participate in the work of the Holy Spirit so that you don't feel like this person in Romans 7. Otherwise, you will. You try to be godly without walking in participation with the Spirit, and you will ultimately just come to, everything I try to do good, I end up doing the opposite. I'm a terrible person. In my mind, I want to do what God wants, and then I do everything wrong. I'm this horrific, terrible, awful person. And the answer is, that's what it's like to try to be a Christian without the spirit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so chapter eight is a exposition of what it means to combat and put to death the power of the flesh or sin in us. Indwelling sin is what it's called with the indwelling communion that we have in participation in the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. And if we do so, we will understand all the good gifts that we've been given in Christ. And in the rejoicing in that hope, we'll be able to stand in present grace mm-hmm. and, and live beautifully and powerfully. Mm-hmm. And we'll no longer be powerless like we were in Christ died for us. We'll be filled with God's power. And mm-hmm. all of that, it says in Romans 8, is rooted in the Holy Spirit's application of a realization of God's love. Mm-hmm. And that's why even if a Christian is a Christian for years and they never really feel like they've really experienced the love of God, you still you still got to pursue it. You mm-hmm. pursue it and you pursue it and you pursue it. And you get little tiny glimpses of it and that's usually enough. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more and it's going to be the thing that you rejoice in. When you see the glory of God, what you're going to see is the multifaceted love of God mm-hmm. in relationship to everything in his character in perfect proportion, in the most beautiful way. And it will astound you forever. And Mm -hmm. that is what has been displayed in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's what's being poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's only Mm -hmm. that joy that can point us to the hope that can make us conquerors 
in all the sufferings of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? that's good. Mm-hmm. And that's the message of these chapters. And um, Paul doesn't argue in a super feely way in certain, in certain ways. In certain ways he does. I mean, these chapters are inspiring too. Mm-hmm. But they're, what I'm saying is they're 10 times as inspiring if you follow the argument. Mm-hmm. And it takes the hard work of our devotional times for us to take the time to really meticulously work through those arguments so that they can just blow up like fireworks in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And see the context of all of it and not just reading like chapter right. eight by itself, right. but it's so much fuller when you start in five or even before then too. But yeah, like, yeah. and I to- listen, I totally concede that when people read the verse, that says we're, we're more than conquerors through the one who loved us. And they're like, Jesus died for me. He loves me. I'm more than conqueror. Like, I'm not saying that that's not a real devotional pick me up, Mm -hmm. that that can't increase devotion. It can. Mm -hmm. But when you see the weight of the layer upon layer upon layer upon layer that flows from chapter one, verse one, all the way through the end of the book, and you see all the things feeding in and how it really works and how it really changes you and how God's really done it. I'm just saying it's so much more. It's like the emotional payoff, the devotion that it creates, the understanding and wisdom that you're rooted in just explodes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's 10 times, 100 times more powerful in what it'll do in your life and in your heart and lead you to the worship and rejoicing in God. Because if what you're reading doesn't cause you to, to have an emotional overflow of rejoicing in God worship, then you don't get it because Romans 5 explicitly says that's what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Not only do we receive all this stuff, but we live in him, but also we rejoice in God. And if mm-hmm. you're, it just doesn't cause you to rejoice in God deeply and meaningfully, you just haven't seen it yet. It's not you're a bad person. It's just you've got to hike a little further, a little higher to see the vista mm-hmm. so that you'll see it and rejoice. You just haven't seen it. And that's exactly what that verse says in, and I think it's in 5, 6, where he says, don't yeah. you see mm-hmm. at just the right time when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were powerless. He died. He died for the ungodly. Don't you see? Mm-hmm. The whole point is not: Are you a good or a bad person? Mm-hmm. The whole point is: Will you come to God and let Him help you see what will change you mm-hmm. and open your capacity for understanding the love of God? Like right. it's it's a it's good news that we can continue to grow in our capacity to understand that. Mm-hmm. Right, so, which will yeah. which will give you the emotional capacity to love mm-hmm. God. Because remember, in the end, what God wants is not just our understanding; He wants us to love Him right. with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because that is our greatest good, and mm-hmm. and His greatest pleasure in us is that we would have that relation, reconciled peace with each other that is based on justification, but that is ultimately an exchange of divine love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something we have maybe barely experienced if we were quite advanced in the faith and some of us maybe not at all yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is a great time to continue to press in and do that work of pursuing Christ and understanding his love mm-hmm. and feeling that for yourself and um, yeah. showing that to other, demonstrating that to other people. Um, so press in now all the more um, when you have this, time in this interesting yeah. season that we're in. Yeah. And can I say, let me say one last thing before yeah. we close here. You, you and I were on a, a joint counseling session with somebody who just said they felt worthless. Just, mm-hmm. I, can't, I just can't believe any of this stuff. Um, even for those of us who are going to have to go through some deep waters of figuring out why we don't feel loved or we have a hard time feeling love. Th- you, you need these truths inside of you. 
mm-hmm. pregnant with with purpose and power because as you deal with them, some of that will come into your heart. But it's also it it also it's it's it helps you pursue a newness of life and a newness newness of emotion and a newness of healing. It 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 doesn't right. heal you in itself, but it has a healing effect and a and a balming effect to mm-hmm. help you come to a place where you can deal with some of the things that have hurt you. And so so even people who've been hurt who's like, well, I, what I need is counseling. Well, you may need counseling, but what you also need is a, is to continually work back and forth over this issue of the love of God and let it mm-hmm. push in and press on and crack some of the hard places so that as you add in coping with and dealing with some of the stuff you've experienced, mm-hmm. the two can work together to produce more than, than the one can produce by itself. Yes. Yeah. To pursue that difficult work, you need to know that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and I th- yeah, if, and as I think, long as you yeah, know that <laughs> and you keep trusting that, that allows you to do the work of suffering because you, it won't separate you from the love of God. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and I find that like the actual doing the devotions, working with and working through the passages does drive it deeper. And then yes. taking time to like, once you, once you like understand what like Romans five says, then go to your journal and journal it all in the first person. Mm-hmm. God, I believe by faith that in Christ, you have justified me. I stand perfectly righteous in your presence. And therefore we have peace with one another. And this is not too good to be true. And through Christ, I have now the grace for the faith, for the grace I need today to stand. And so you like you journal your way theologically in the first person about you all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then like you got to open your heart to that and intentionally emote with it and, and open your heart to, to feel what you can and should feel. And God has poured out his love by the Holy Spirit. He's The Holy Spirit is present and wants to do something in your heart relative to the love of God. Mm-hmm. And so these kinds of exercises can help you open yourself up to it and it can really, really change you. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's good. Um, I want to mention a few resources too, yeah. if you want to get better at studying the Bible. And if, I mean, I know that discourse is hard for me to understand. And so um, something that's helpful that the staff has gone through is called uh, Getting the Message. It's a book by Daniel Doriani mm-hmm. and that will really help you. And then, we've discovered that the gospel coalition has courses that are basically like a seminary, like seminary courses for free, I think. Right. Yeah. They cover the kind of content you would cover in seminary, but I think in terms of difficulty, they're, they're made for just normal folks. Right. But they will help you learn more about studying the Bible, about theology. Mm -hmm. So you can check that out at the gospel coalition website. As well. Yeah, and there are a couple courses in there specifically on studying the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. But there's everything yeah. else too if you're interested and you've got yeah. a lot of time on your hands, which you do. <laughs> yeah, so we will be in touch with more resources, um, some videos, and more podcasts about Romans mm-hmm. 8 and our study of that. But read Romans 5 through 8 for yourselves and start digging in on your own time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Great, Jill. That's, those, those are some really good resources. I hope people. Hope you guys take advantage of them because there's been a lot of work and money put into some of those resources at Gospel Coalition. I think it can be really helpful. And the Doriani book, something you can read and always have. And just that one book will teach you how to study the Bible. And yeah. it's it's very well worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. We will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.
listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.